the title of this message is, Give Me That Old Time Religion. And by that title, I'm not really talking about the old method, old way of doing things. I'm not necessarily talking about tradition. I'm not talking about old church programs of yesteryear, long ago. I'm not talking about religion in the negative sense of the way that we look at that word religion. If someone said, I got religion, we think that they mean they've got ritual without relationship with the Holy God. And so we're not talking about that. Instead, I'm thinking about the people of the early New Testament church and the stories like we find in Acts chapter 8. Now we're going to be in Jeremiah, but first I'm going to look at Acts chapter 8 on the screen where it describes the ministry of a man named Philip in the region of Samaria. Acts chapter 8 verse 5 and 6 says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And verse 8 says, So there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. When some of you were growing up, you could buy a hamburger for 15 cents. You could eat at a nice restaurant for 75 cents, and you could buy a gallon of gas for 18 cents. When I started high school in 19, fall of 1978, a Big Mac meal deal at McDonald's was a dollar and 79 cents. Today it's over seven dollars. When the cost of a cup of coffee went from 10 cents to 25 cents, my dad handled it okay. But when it went to 50 cents, he never got over it. And we never heard the end of it. Even in the 1980s, the only time we locked our front door was when we went on vacation. In fact, for most of those years growing up, we didn't have a lock that worked unless you were on the inside instead of the outside of the house. And we didn't need one. When I was growing up, Little Little League Baseball never practiced on Wednesday night. Wednesday night was family night at all the local churches. School events didn't take place on Wednesday night. A coach would have never, ever thought of calling a baseball practice on a Sunday afternoon. The parents wouldn't have stood for it. Games weren't held on Sunday. Tournaments weren't held on Sunday. And I think many of you would agree with me when I say times have changed. Looking back at those days, I began to think about the church this week. Our church where I grew up had something called Christmas in October. At Christmas in October was about all the months long they would bring supplies and stuff, just household items, canned goods, supplies, anything a missionary might need in the field. They brought it in October and at the end of the month, I can remember one time my dad was in charge of driving the old church bus down to Lubbock, Texas with all those items, all those goods. People got on the bus, a lot of them carpooled and we drove three hours down to Lubbock, Texas for some kind of big camp meeting. I was real little. I just remember there was a lot of preaching, a lot of stuff lined the walls. All the churches brought all the things they were going to ship off to those missionaries. There was a lot of preaching. There was a lot of singing. There was a lot of shouting and there was great joy in that place as people were excited for all that God had done and they were excited to be together. Dr. W.A. Criswell, longtime pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, preached sometime, began preaching sometime around 1925 at the age of 17 years old. Having pastored for so many years, he was never short of stories to tell about church life, especially in those early days. 
In the year 2000, at the age of 90, he spoke at a convention where he shared stories about the early days of his ministry, and he said, and I quote, Our church had business meetings on Saturday afternoon once a month. And always, as you have in your church, there was somebody there who was in the kickative case and the disapproving mood. One man stood up in the middle of one of the meetings and he said, I make a motion, we buy a chandelier. And that kickative member stood up and said, I'm again it. For one thing, we don't have anybody who can play it. And for another thing, I can't approve of us buying something, the name of which I cannot spell. Besides, what our church needs most is better lighting. You know, some things about church life will never change. Some things about church life won't change but should. Other things about church life have changed but shouldn't. There was a time when the Sunday school crowd was the sanctuary crowd. It was the same group. Or when if someone got saved, the congregation rejoiced. I'm telling you, when I got saved, my friends rejoiced. Some of them. The other half ran off. There was a time where if someone needed prayer, people didn't wait for a pastor to call for a time of prayer. They gathered around just prayed. If you had a need, they believed God with you, that God would answer your need. And when I was growing up, I never recall hearing about a pastor not believing the Bible to be the authoritative, inerrant, infallible Word of God. I never heard of that in my whole life, that that, that was not true. The canon of Scripture we know now has passed so many numerous tests of scholarship and textual criticism throughout the ages, giving overwhelming proof of its authenticity. People, for the most part, eagerly received the Bible as the inspired Word of God, without question, until more recent years. Perhaps I can describe it better by telling you the story of two mischievous boys who, before the church service started, got hold of the preacher's Bible, and they glued some of the pages together. As the preacher stood up to preach, and he began to read his text, he read this, And in those days Noah took unto himself a wife. Then he turned what he thought to be a single page and continued to read. And she was 15 cubits abroad, 35 cubits long, made out of gopher wood, and daubed on the inside with pitch. Although the preacher was puzzled by what he had just read, after he got through reading it, he held up his Bible and he said, Now, that's the first time I can recall that passage saying exactly that, but I want you to know if the Word of God says it, I believe it. (laughs) I read an article of a survey that Lifeway of our Southern Baptist Convention conducted asking Christians, Christians, whether or not they believed the Bible on what it says about hell and whether or not hell is real. And it blew my mind. Only 40% of believers who responded to the poll believed that hell is real. That tells me 60% of the people in our churches that believe in Jesus don't believe in hell. And I would just say slowly we're accepting a new way of faith and practice and we're calling it progress. We're quick these days to call it faith with no sign of conversion. Repentance without godly sorrow. Worship without participation. 
Love without acceptance, and we call it sin, yet have no conviction. While God has called us to confront the culture and denounce its evil ways and offer people a better way. It was the same way in Jeremiah's day. The religious leaders ignored their own sin. As Jeremiah said earlier in this same chapter, chapter 6, he said, prophets and priests alike, they dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. So Jeremiah speaks out and he warns them of the destruction to come if they don't repent and don't heed God's word. And I think you'll sense a great connection to these words spoken by God through Jeremiah as the Lord makes yet another plea calling his people to return to him. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 reads this way in the NIV. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. We'll not walk in it and will not listen. We'll not walk in it, and we will not listen. I believe God would have every believer everywhere, and especially those here today, to stand still and evaluate your ways. Most every person here probably confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. If your personal GPS printed out a map showing the path that you've been on, what would it look like? What would it indicate? Would it say that you're still walking the pathway of Abel, who by faith brought God a better offering than his brother Cain and was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering? Would it say that you're still walking the pathway of Abraham, who by faith believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness? Would would it indicate that you're walking the pathway of Andrew there in the New Testament? The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 40 through 42... He listened to what John said about Jesus and immediately he began to follow him. Finding first his brother Simon Peter. And here's what he said to Simon Peter. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. Are you still on the ancient pathway, the old path, leading others to know Jesus? Connecting people to Jesus. Are you still walking the pathway of Peter who when Jesus asked what he believed, he confessed boldly and he confessed unapologetically, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Are you still on the ancient path or have you found another? Stand still and evaluate your life. The second thing I would tell us today is we're accountable for the path we choose. Through God's word, he's shown us the way. Paul talking to Timothy, he said he appreciated his mother and his grandmother who raised him from an early age to know the scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. The scriptures lead you to salvation. The scriptures aren't just a good book, although we refer to it sometimes as the good book. The scripture is not uh, just an ancient book. It's a living book. It's alive. 
and it leads us to know God and to be saved. Through God's Word, He's shown us the way, but there are those who still reject it, even though they have studied it well. Through social media, through television, and sometimes schools and their teaching, children are being taught to reject Judeo-Christian teachings of the Bible and to explore other uh, philosophies of spirituality, other ways of sexuality, theology about God, and to explore and to experiment because there's no longer in our world such a thing as one way being the right way or the only way. During World War II, during the Battle of the Bulge, there was a group of German soldiers who dressed themselves in the uniforms of the Allies and they, taking their, uh, the American military vehicles, they went through the German countryside changing the road signs. So when the American troops began to come through, they come to these various crossroads and the signs had been changed. They didn't know it. They were often fooled by those signs that, because it pointed them off into a wrong direction. And this deception by the Germans almost gave them the victory in what was a very decisive battle in that Second World War. And that's exactly what's happening today. People today, Satan has come in and he's changed the road sign so that every path leads somewhere good. Every path is the right path. Any path is the right path as long as it seems right to you. But Jeremiah said, ask for the ancient path. Stand at the crossroads. Look to the left. Look to the right. Look behind you where you've come from and look straight ahead. And he says, ask for the ancient path. You know what that tells us? Ask for the right directions. Now, some of us are in trouble right there, aren't we? (laughs) Ask for the ancient path. And for the people of Israel, the ancient path was regarding the law of Moses. Ask what God has said. What did Moses write? What did he say God said? That was what they meant there. You and I, however, we're not living way back then. We are living on this side of the cross. When we look back, we see Jesus on the cross. And He is the one we look back to. All the things leading up to the cross help us to understand Jesus and the cross and how He fulfilled that Old Testament law of Moses. And so for us, we look back to the cross. That's our ancient path. The cross where Jesus died. It's Jesus who's there. He's the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. No no man comes unto the Father except through Him. And I would say that those who find their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, do find a Sabbath rest. And not only in the here and now, but there is a Sabbath rest the Bible talks about in the there and then, in heaven. A Sabbath rest. A resting for the soul. It's a wonderful thing to have rest in your soul, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to have inner peace. In your life, to know that you've chosen the old path and that your life is in God's hands and that everything that happens, He has got it in control. I want to share another story of W.A. Criswell's life, one that he shared. His father was just an uneducated, what he called an uneducated cowpoke back in the early 1900s. And when the barbed wire fence was invented... Well, a lot of the cowboys lost their job. They didn't have to go herd the cattle so much. The barbed wire fencing kept them in. So a great number of these cowboys were without work, and one of them was Criswell's father. So his father learned how to cut hair. 
And so what he did is he set up a little barber shop and he cut everyone else's hair. They worked on the XIT Ranch in the far northwest part of the Texas Panhandle. X meaning 10. XIT stood for 10 in Texas. 10 counties in Texas. That was the ranch. It was there that he opened that little barber shop and started cutting hair. And Criswell says, and I begin to quote him here, On Saturday afternoons I would sit down in that little barber shop and I would listen to the stories of all these cowboys. And one day, while we were listening and we were talking and people were getting their haircuts, a young cowpoke came back in from the range because he wanted to get a fresh mount. He picked out a horse, he bridled it, he saddled it, then he mounted it, and he rode out from the pen. But the pony hadn't been fully broke, and he began to buck and to sidestep. And then losing its footing, it fell backward onto the cowboy, and it crushed him. The horse got up and ran away, but the cowboy suffered internal injuries and was bleeding from his mouth. Jake, the cook in the camp, saw what happened, and he ran over to the lad. Tenderly, he picked him up, and he brought him into the camp, and he laid him on a cot. He knew there was nothing he could do for the boy. As the boy's life ebbed away, he said to Jake, You know that big black book the boss man's always reading to us? Go get it and bring it to me. Jake went to the chuck wagon and he dug around in the boss's personal things until he found the Bible. Then he brought it to the lad. The boy said, Jake, can you find John 3.16? So Jake went through the Bible and he found the gospel of John. Then he turned to chapter 3 and he slid his finger down the page until it landed on verse 16. Criswell said, the boy said, Jake, read that verse to me. And Jake read it aloud. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or the cowboy said, Jake, take that Bible and put it on my chest so. And take my finger and put it on that verse. And when the boss man comes in this evening... You tell him I died with my finger on John 3, 16. Criswell ends with a poem. One glad smile of pleasure or the cowboy's face was spread. One dark convulsive shadow and the tall young lad was dead. Far from his home and family, they laid him down to rest with a saddle for his pillow and that Bible on his chest. Jeremiah said, Stand and look. You're at the crossroads in life. Evaluate your life. Ask for the ancient path. Ask for that good old way. Ask for the way where the people... To get their hearts right with God, look to a sacrifice. A sacrifice of blood. How messy. A lamb to be slain that would be offered upon an altar for the forgiveness of sin. He said, that's the ancient way. People get back to the ancient way. 
where God would meet with Moses up on a mountain and give him a word and he would come down and the people were so eager to get their lives right and to listen and to hear. Jeremiah is preaching to them. Can you hear him right now? He's preaching to them, but you've left the ancient way. He's saying, get back to the old way and you'll find rest for your souls. But then he warns them and he says, but you said, we'll not walk in it. He's blowing a trumpet. You hear the sound, but you said, we will not listen. What a stiff-necked people they were. How hardened their hearts were. And I would tell you today, we have people with hardened hearts. They see the way, but they won't walk in it. They hear the trumpet, but they will not listen. You and I get the privilege of looking back to the cross of Calvary, where the Lamb of the blood the blood of the Lamb was spilt. We get to look back there and we get to see how our Heavenly Father fulfilled His Word by the sacrifice of His own Son on a cross. And those who look to the cross, those who are putting their faith and trust in Him, they're cleansed from head to toe of all their sins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Never to have to be repeated again. They find cleansing in the flow, in the fountain that comes from Emmanuel's veins. And they're saved. That is the message of the cross. That is our ancient pathway. And we get to look back down that path to the cross. And I would ask you today, are you on that old path or have you wandered from it? And I would believe that through His Word, God's asking you today to choose that good way, to choose that way and walk in it, to listen to the trumpet call and to listen and heed the warning. And I would ask you today, what is your answer to Him? Are you on a new path of half-belief? Are you on a new path that there's many ways to God? Are you on some new New age path that says there's no no such thing as sin anymore. Are you on that path? Because God does not know that path. And I believe this word from Jeremiah should stir our hearts to say, what path am I on? Am I on the ancient pathway? Have I diverted my attention to other things? And I would ask you the same thing. Have you done that? Will you get back to Him? Get back to Him. That's what He's saying.